Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Through education, motivation, and implementation, we will bridge the gap between knowing and doing so we can master fat loss naturally and help you reach your highest potential. Let's get started. All right, everybody, we are going to get super, super practical today. If you are someone who is having either stomach pain, bloating, indigestion, that sort of thing, or joint pain, and you feel like you've explored lots of avenues, but you're not finding relief, I am going to be talking about two different issues, two different categories, but addressing common questions that I am getting either about IBS-like symptoms, irritable bowel-like symptoms, right? So anything from gas, bloating, diarrhea, digestive discomfort. And we're going to be addressing issues related to joint pain and arthritis specific to two different types of foods, right, or classifications of certain vegetables, FODMAPs, which is a really strange acronym that we will get into, and nightshades. Now, these two are very different. FODMAPs and nightshades are very different. Uh, Digestive challenges and arthritis are very different, but these questions usually go together because they are related to sensitivity to specific vegetables. So specific vegetables and fruits, actually. It's not totally classified to vegetables, although they are the, the most common offenders. People say, what's the deal with nightshades? Should I avoid them? Or what's the deal with FODMAPs? What are they? Should everybody avoid them? Should only some people avoid them? FODMAPs are generally associated with the tummy troubles, anywhere from mild to severe IBS-like symptoms. It doesn't mean FODMAPs and IBS are linked, but any type of stomach discomfort may be associated with a sensitivity to this type, this classification of foods known as FODMAPs. Same thing with arthritis and joint pain. They can be associated with sensitivity to foods that fall into the classification of nightshades. So I'm going to be talking about these two issues because I've been getting a lot of questions either specific to nightshades and FODMAPs or specific to digestive discomfort or arthritis. And I want to really address kind of the common sense perspective of, well, if they're bad for some people, are they bad for everybody? And how do you know if you have a sensitivity? And it goes back to this. Before we get into the nitty gritty details, I always like to kind of start with the overarching common sense perspective, which is your body has all the answers for you. And it also goes back to why I really recommend tracking for everybody. And when I say tracking, I'm talking about keeping just a basic journal, which can be online, it can be on paper, of what you eat and how it makes you feel. Really, that's about all it is. Now, for my clients, when we're working towards fat loss, I recommend that they track more than that in terms of their emotional associations to food, their progress through fat loss, inches lost, weight loss, all that kind of stuff. But even when you're just trying to understand 
where the heck is this joint pain coming from? Or why is it that some days I'm incredibly bloated and other days I'm not bloated at all? When you track, you find those answers. So when it comes to identifying whether or not you have a sensitivity to FODMAPs or to nightshades, it really comes down to tracking. If you aren't tracking, you're relying on your memory, which if you're anything like me, is iffy at best, right? You don't necessarily remember on those few days where you had more severe joint pain, what you ate throughout the day or what you ate two days earlier, right? You might find through tracking that you have a response a day or two later after eating a particular food that you are sensitive to. And if you don't have that in writing, it is really extra difficult to make those associations. So just keeping a tracking document can save you pain, can save you time, can save you frustration. Heck, it can save you doctor's visits. If you're able to identify on your own that you have a sensitivity to a particular food, you've made your life a whole lot easier. You've saved yourself discomfort and you've saved yourself time and money. So I am all about keeping a careful tracking document even if your goal is not fat loss. I think it is very important because your body has all the answers. If I I say to you, I'm sensitive to FODMAPs, that doesn't mean you should avoid them. You might not be sensitive. I am not a purist. I know this is called primal potential, but I am not a purist. If I want ice cream, I'm going to have ice cream. I'm going to pay attention to my food sensitivities. And if I'm not sensitive to something, I'm going to enjoy it in moderation if I feel like it. So I am not a purist, but I do really avoid things that I am sensitive to. And I don't really worry about labeling it in a particular category of I'm lactose intolerant. I just know that I eat food I love that loves me back. So I could love a food, for example, ice cream. I love ice cream. Ice cream doesn't necessarily love me back, which is why I really limit it because I have some stomach stomach discomfort when I have ice cream, but I don't have that stomach discomfort if I say have full fat Greek yogurt. So it's really about paying attention to your body. So anyway, enough of that. Track, right? If you want answers, track. If you want to know if you should avoid nightshades and FODMAPs, track. So let's get into what they are and let's start with FODMAPs. So when I'm saying that word, it's the acronym F. O-D-M-A-P-S, FODMAPs. Now, it sounds really weird, doesn't sound like it has anything to do with food. The acronym, what it stands for is even more complex, but I'm going to break it down to its simplest parts. Um, So anyway, FODMAPs stands for fermentable, oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. Okay, so basically what that means is Carbohydrate chains of different lengths that ferment in your gut and sugar alcohols, okay? So when we say fermentable, it just means that it can be kind of fed on by bacteria and ferment in your body. We'll get into why that's not pleasant as an experience within you. Oligosaccharides, disaccharides, and monosaccharides are just referring to carbohydrates of different lengths. Mono being one, di being two, oligo meaning many, and then polyols are referring to sugar alcohols. So basically, fermentable carbohydrates and sugar alcohols of different chain lengths, they're fermentable for the fact that they do not digest easily or completely. So when we're talking about FODMAPs, we are talking about foods in this category that are not well digested. Your body does not metabolize them easily. Now, some people 
are able to digest them more completely without issue. And that's why some people are not sensitive to FODMAPs to the degree that other people are. When you have a food that is not easily digested, what does that mean? It means that it hangs out in your intestines without being metabolized completely. So there's more bulk of what you ate just hanging around. Well, it's not just, I mean, your body is a living, breathing, active organism. So if you have undigested food hanging out in your intestines, it's not just sitting there being left alone. That food becomes food for bacteria. That process is called fermentation. So when you have any kind of food that is not well digested, either to you, not well digested by your individual body, or just not well digested in general, it is more prone to fermentation, bacterial breakdown. Now, when that fermentation happens, that leads to more fluid going into the intestines to kind of dilute what is happening there. All right. So between the process of Incomplete digestion, you've got extra stuff hanging around in your intestines, and fermentation and osmosis, the movement of water into the intestines, that is experienced by you as any number of digestive discomfort symptoms. So bloating, gas, pain, diarrhea, any type of mild to severe digestive symptoms. Some people don't have any of these symptoms, and that's great. That means you are not particularly sensitive to FODMAPs. Other people have those symptoms with some FODMAPs, but not all. So it might be that you metabolize sugar alcohols perfectly fine, but those disaccharides or monosaccharides not so well. Or it might be the other way around. You're totally fine with the uh, carbohydrates of any chain length, but sugar alcohols, not so much. A lot of people find themselves in that camp, really insensitive or really sensitive to sugar alcohols. So you've got three things going on here with FODMAPs that all cause varying degrees of digestive discomfort if you are sensitive to FODMAPs. Incomplete digestion, fermentation, and osmosis, the movement of water into the intestines. Foods that are in this FODMAP category They have these type of carbohydrates or sugar alcohols that are incompletely digested and therefore ferment and cause movement of water into the digestive tract. Dairy products are going to have these carbohydrates that are not as easily digested, okay? Some fruit, not all fruit, dried fruits are big offenders, as well as apples, peaches, mangoes, and watermelons. And you might be thinking, gosh, I don't have anything when I have apples. I'm totally fine. But come to think of it, when I eat watermelon, I tend to feel a little gassy or I have diarrhea or whatever it is. So you might find that some things that fall into this classification really you do struggle with and others you don't. So dairy products, certain fruits, including dried fruits, apples, peaches, mangoes, watermelons, those are the biggest offenders there. Some fibrous vegetables. So some veggies that are higher in fiber are more likely to be incompletely digested and therefore be more likely to ferment in your in your digestive tract. Asparagus, Brussels sprouts. Uh, clearly, I don't have an issue here since I eat Brussels sprouts pretty much every day. So asparagus, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, and then garlic and onions as well. 
I already mentioned sugar alcohols, which most people know that they have a sensitivity to. There are very few people that can have sugar alcohols without limit and not experience some degree of digestive discomfort. And then coconut products also do have some of these FODMAPs, these carbohydrates that are incompletely digested. So like I said, you can be sensitive to certain types of FODMAPs, but not to others, right? Some people might be very sensitive to dairy, but not to fruit. Some people might experience digestive discomfort with Brussels sprouts or asparagus or broccoli, but not with garlic or onions. Again, you really have to track to understand. Write down what you are eating, and then if and when you have any symptoms, whether it's mild like gas or bloating to severe, like real serious stomach pain or diarrhea, or even constipation, write that down so that you can start to identify what sensitivities you have, if any, all right? One thing to keep in mind, if you do have a sensitivity to FODMAPs in general or certain FODMAPs, is to really supplement with probiotics. Those are healthy bacteria that will help to minimize the effect of the fermentation in your digestive tract, right? But keep in mind, you still have the issue of the fact that these are incompletely digested and they have this osmotic effect that can lead to stomach discomfort that isn't really going to be influenced by bacterial balance. Now, in the show notes page over on Primal Potential, I am putting a link to a really awesome graphic that shows foods that are high in FODMAPs and foods that are low in FODMAPs. So if you do find that you have a sensitivity, you can really know what you can safely enjoy and what you should stay away from. But understand that everyone is different. This is not in any way an argument for everyone to stay away from FODMAPs. You can very easily identify what your sensitivities are. But if you are finding that you have some unexplained stomach discomfort on some days you feel really bloated or some foods really give you bad gas or indigestion, this is a great place to start by writing the food down tracking your sensitivity and your symptoms, doing maybe a 10 to 14 day elimination to see if it reduces or eliminates the symptoms. And that's how you find your own sensitivity. So if you think this is an issue for you, definitely go over to primalpotential.com. On the show notes page for this episode is the link to a really great visual graphic that shows foods that are high FODMAP and low. All right. Now, let's talk nightshades. Nightshades, totally different ball game here, totally different symptoms, okay? When we look at people who have joint pain or autoimmune symptoms and they can't really link them to anything else, oftentimes nightshades are an offender. But just because, like FODMAPs, just because some people have a sensitivity to nightshades does not mean that all people will. So nightshades are a family of plants. Now, there are thousands within this family of plants, but only a few of them are edible. So there's really only a few that we need to be concerned about when we're talking about nightshade sensitivity and arthritis or joint pain or autoimmune symptoms. They irritate people from an inflammation and a joint standpoint because of specific alkaloids within them. So oftentimes we're talking about solanine in potato and eggplant, tomatine in tomato and tomato products and spices derived from tomato, nicotine in tobacco, and then capsaicin in peppers, whether it's hot peppers or just regular garden variety bell peppers. Now, These alkaloids 
solanine and tomatine, nicotine, capsaicin. They have a purpose. It's how the plant protects itself from bugs or uh, insects. Humans are built for survival and plants are too. Sometimes their natural protective mechanism from bugs or insects or just nature is in their outer layer, something that is inedible, their peel or their rind or their skin. But sometimes it's just a part of the food itself. Sometimes humans have no reaction to it whatsoever and sometimes humans have very strong sensitivities to it, all right? These chemical defense systems like solanine, tomatine, capsaicin, nicotine, it's obviously going to be more potent in small amounts to something like an insect than to a human. We would have to consume a lot more of it to have a negative response, but some people just have a much more heightened sensitivity than others, all right? Nightshades can be, again, inedible. So an example of an inedible nightshade would be hemlock, you know, legit poison that can kill people. But potatoes are also nightshades, and they certainly do not kill most people. They do trigger negative reactions in sensitive individuals. And oftentimes these alkaloids are far, far, far more concentrated in the leaves or the rind or the skin or the stem. They have much less in the edible portion of the plant. But like with the example of potatoes, oftentimes we eat the peel. So if you are somebody who is sensitive to nightshades, you might want to avoid potatoes altogether. But if you're going to have potatoes or maybe you have a mild sensitivity, you definitely want to remove any protective barrier. Don't eat that part because it will have a higher concentration of these alkaloids that can trigger a negative reaction. So let's take a look at just how these nightshades trigger joint pain, inflammation, or immune kind of symptoms in sensitive individuals. And again, I'm talking about sensitive individuals, and I want to be really, really clear that not everyone has a sensitivity to nightshades or to FODMAPs. So please do not create an issue where you do not have one and think, oh my gosh, maybe this is causing this major reaction within me. You can eliminate it if you want to, but you could also find a reason to eliminate just about every food on the planet. So I really encourage the common sense approach of tracking, seeing if you have negative symptoms from it, and removing it for, say, 10 to 14 days, seeing if your symptoms improve. If they don't, you're probably not a sensitive individual to that item. And if if your symptoms do improve, then continue to avoid it. All right, so let's look at exactly how this... Uh, arthritic or joint pain reaction can be felt and why, okay? So nightshades have the potential to be calcinogenic, which means they may cause calcium to build up in your soft tissue, which you experience as pain, arthritic-like pain, joint pain, okay? Because nightshades, the vegetables that fall into this class, contain calcitriol. Now, do not get confused here with cholecalciferol, which is the active form of vitamin D in a lot of supplements. That's not what we're talking about. Calcitriol is something different, even though they sound kind of similar. So calcitriol is the end product of vitamin D metabolism. It's a hormone, a really powerful hormone that basically dictates how much calcium your body absorbs. Now, when your body absorbs more calcium, there's more calcium in your blood. But your blood 
blood balance of all things, including calcium, has to be very, very carefully managed. You do not want too much calcium in your blood. So if you consume more calcitriol and then you have more calcium in your blood because calcitriol upregulates your absorption of calcium, your body has to remove that calcium from your blood and put it somewhere. More calcium, more calcium absorption from calcitriol, more movement of calcium out of the blood into the soft tissue. When you start to accumulate over time in a chronic way, calcium in your soft tissue, what does that equal? Osteoarthritis. The buildup of calcium in the soft tissue is one of the starting points for osteoarthritis. So that is the link between nightshades, because they are high in calcitriol relative to other vegetables that are not in the nightshade family, and joint pain, arthritis, inflammation. So most people are not going to have a sensitivity to nightshades. But if you have an autoimmune condition, if you have joint pain, if you have arthritis, you might be more sensitive. So what foods are we talking about here in the nightshade family? White potatoes. I say white potatoes uh, not to be racist, but to just exclude sweet potatoes. So sweet potatoes are not in the nightshade family, but white potatoes and red potatoes, which red potatoes are white potatoes with red skin. Um, anyway, those potatoes do. Sweet potatoes do not fall into the nightshade family. So potatoes, not sweet potatoes. Eggplant. Bell peppers and spicy peppers, but not peppercorn. Not peppercorn the spice, but hot peppers and bell peppers. Tomatoes, all right? Now, where a lot of people get into trouble is, well, I don't eat bell peppers and I don't eat tomatoes, but you eat a lot of products derived from them, like paprika or cayenne, things that can be um, sneaky in foods that you might not think of, but anything derived from hot peppers or bell peppers or tomatoes or potatoes can trigger a reaction in individuals who are sensitive to nightshades. If you are someone with nightshade sensitivity, and again, don't create a problem where there isn't one just to like look for a reason to be concerned, peel your potatoes because the nightshade uh, compounds are more concentrated in the skin. Don't eat potatoes that are, uh, you know, like sprouting eyes from them, you know, maybe potatoes that are a little bit older because those are a richer source of nightshades. Do not eat underripe tomatoes or potatoes. So when we're talking like green tomatoes or like baby potatoes, those are bigger offenders than vegetables that have been allowed to fully ripen. And then the third point to reduce any sensitivity to nightshades is to cook your vegetables. So if you're going to have bell peppers, if you're going to have tomatoes, if you're going to have, well, I hope you would not eat your potatoes raw because that's weird. Although a lot of people do that for resistant starch. Don't do it if you're sensitive to nightshades, okay? So cook them. That helps to minimize the impact of nightshades. So I know this was a little bit of a shorter episode, but I really wanted to touch on what are two major, major issues for people, digestive discomfort and joint pain. And they may or may not be tied to FODMAPs and nightshades, but at least you know what FODMAPs are and what nightshades are. And if you want more information, definitely go over to the show notes page on primalpotential.com so you can see a good visual representation of what falls into the FODMAP category and what does not. Uh, and also do some additional reading on both nightshades and FODMAPs. Again, if you think you might have a sensitivity 
activity or you're not sure what to attribute your joint pain or your digestive discomfort to, do a simple elimination for 10 to 14 days, monitor your symptoms, see if they improve and go from there. All right, what I ate yesterday. I actually, I kind of switched things up a little bit. I didn't want bulletproof coffee, but I didn't want nothing because I knew I was going into a tough workout. So I actually had coffee with heavy cream, which I don't do a lot, um, but I did yesterday and it was really delicious. I was very happy. And then lunch was a massive kale salad, like out of a mixing bowl, um, probably four cups of kale. And I had about two tablespoons of goat cheese with it and a handful of almonds and a very small leftover salmon filet because I love salmon and I can't get enough. And it was totally delicious. Dinner didn't feel like cooking or doing anything much. It was a witch witch sandwich, um, which which is a restaurant where I can get a lettuce wrap. And I think it had turkey, bacon, avocado, tomato, and some pesto in it. It was very, very good. And then I wanted something a little snacky later. And I've done this several days lately. And I need to make an effort to dial back because I don't feel very good when I include dairy on a regular basis. But I had some full fr- full fat hormone-free Greek yogurt with a little bit of cacao and stevia. And it was delicious, but I just don't feel great when I'm doing a lot of dairy. And I had dairy twice. Well, no, three times yesterday. Oh, gosh, got to dial back. Doesn't make me feel amazing. Anyway, hope this was helpful. If If you have questions, definitely shoot me an email and let me know. I love hearing from you and I hope to uh, hope to find out how I can help you and what topics you want to hear about on the show. So shoot me an email, let me know, and we'll be back in a couple of days with another episode. So I'll see you then. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.